Always consult your physician or healthcare professional before starting this or any other health or wellness program. Hello there, my name is Corey Durbin, CEO of Shared Health Alliance, and I'd like to welcome you to Running Eyes, a podcast where we take a meaningful, deep dive into the relationships, strategies, and global mission of ASH to change healthcare and change lives. Well, my guest today is Dr. Todd Frisch. Dr. Frisch graduated from Palmer College of Chiropractic in 1980. He's certified in iridology, nutrition, traditional Chinese medicine, and acupuncture. He's a teacher, and he's a lecturer for the Missouri Chiropractic Physicians Association, and he's lectured for the American Chiropractic Association Council on Nutrition and the ACA Board of Internal Disorders. He has served as president of the ACA Council of Acupuncture and the American Board of Chiropractic Acupuncture, and he's also the founder and developer of Shape Reclaimed, where he still serves as the president and technical advisor. And I know he's been affectionately and accurately, in my mind, called the wizard by his patients, a name I'd say he confesses to not being altogether comfortable with. However, I am one of those who would gladly call him by that name, as he really has had a miraculous impact in my own personal health journey. So Dr. Frisch, thank you for joining me today. How are you, my good friend? I am good. You did forget to mention I once scored 54 points in a basketball game. You know, it's... uh... (laughs) Highly important. <laughs> well, you gave our, me our you gave me a little cheat sheet that 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 part wasn't oh, in did. the cheat okay. sheet I had. <laughs> so go okay. on, tell me about the fifty four points. <laughs> well, ironically, it was after my first chiropractic treatment ever. I was pumping gas at a Clark gas station, and uh, I was I started at a buck ten an hour. That tells you how long ago that was. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, I had everyday headaches, and uh, and my doctor, my medical doctor, said, "Well, you." just have normal everyday headaches and this chiropractor moved across the street from me and he says you know it's not normal to have everyday headaches and I go really because <laughs> I'm young and dumb <laughs> and, uh, and he said well maybe I could help you so I remember going to his office and he did this weird stuff to me and uh, charged me 20 bucks now you're talking you know pretty much my entire week's salary <laughs> in one right, swoop right. was lost and I I thought, well, not only am I never going back to this guy, I'm never going to go, I'm never going to talk to this guy again because it's so stupid. But I went home that night to watch Perry Mason that afternoon. I got off at three o'clock and Perry Mason was on TV from 3.30 to 4.30, which I did every day. And uh, and I I had to urinate so bad. And, and, uh, and I lost 11 pounds in 24 hours. I couldn't quit urinating. <laughs> I could not quit urinating. It was the most. It was the most remarkable thing. So the the next night I played basketball. I scored fifty four points. I was like playing in slow motion. I, I missed three shots, and because I was tackled on two of them, two of them, and one it was at halftime, and I, I threw in from half court and missed. It was just remarkable. The next night. I, <laughs> I go bowling, and I was brought on the team because I was such a bad bowler at to bring the average down. And I bowled a 235 game in a 600 series. And the next night, I went and saw Mike again and said, whatever you did, do it again. So that was that was my introduction to chiropractic. So hence, the, the 54 points has significance to me. So it, it was uh, it, it was great. But um, you did miss the fact that I wrote a book with my daughter. Well, I was going to get to that, of course. So that, oh, okay. That my, All right. All right. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to get there. Uh, <laughs> But the good, the bad news for you is we're going to pay you significantly less than a dollar ten an hour for this time that you get the extra spend with me. So, 
Okay. You're, you're going back to the old days today. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, as you, yeah. yeah. are you going to take taxes off this money? You're not going to pay me. <laughs> well, somebody will. That's for sure. We know that. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm no, sure. I, I was going to say that that you did just recently finish co-authoring a book with your daughter Abby, and uh, the title of yes. it, of course, is WTF? Question mark. And before all the listeners run away and think we're the evil empire using this awful language. Uh, it is. It does stand for Why the Face? A Practical Guide to Understanding Health and Personality Through Facial Diagnosis. So I'm, I'm really looking yes. forward to to talking about that today. I think it will form a lot of the framework of our discussion. And uh, so we'll, we'll sort of start there, awesome. but I'm gonna, but we start there, but then I'm gonna jump back to the beginning, which you were gracious enough to do in your book for me. But I've had such sure. a good time reading that book and uh, <coughs> read it through more than once already and have had friends come into our house and see the book sitting there and, and they might be staying in town and they get through the book in a couple of nights and like, they can't put it down. So uh, wonderful Thank job you. you and Abby did on that book. Thank you. I appreciate that. Abby did all the writing. I, I write like I talk, and <laughs> they didn't learn me real good in school. <laughs> so, well, uh, you're in Wisconsin, it, it, right? It they have schools in Wisconsin? <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, yeah, I think so. I've oh, seen any, but I think they're here somewhere. <laughs> Well, you are um, you yeah. are living in Wisconsin, and you're on a. I think you live on a lake in Wisconsin. I do. Um, I'm looking at it as we speak. That's a good Papoose thing to lake. do, right? It makes five five hundred acres of the most gorgeous water you'll ever see. So it is wonderful. And is it frozen right now, or no? <clears throat> Very much so. There's there's a good three feet of ice on it. So. <laughs> So you guys could you could meet with your your men's group in that shanty on your lake. It sounds like, uh, yeah, we we absolutely could. We absolutely could. Mm. Grumpy old men. So as you started your book, sorry to cut you off there, but as you started your book, uh, Abby actually sort of introduces you, and she talks about uh, you taking her to go see Beauty and the Beast, and uh, there's a, a scene she describes in there as your favorite scene, or I think both of your favorite scenes. Yeah. You want to talk it about is. that? For well, they, yeah, absolutely. So Belle is walking around the mansion of the beast, and she's told not to go into this particular area. And of course, she does, and uh, and she opens it, and it's just filled with books. And we just both sat back and had a big like, oh, I want that. <laughs> and I have mm. that, not quite as massive as that. And Abby's working on it, and I'm sure when I pass this earth, she'll get all my books. So it's uh, it it it's exciting. I love books, and uh, you know, to, to write a book is, uh, you know, I think. Everybody wants to write a book. And somewhere in their soul, they want to write a book. And I, I've had the amazing uh, ability to do that. And, and then I got to do it with my daughter. And it was it was just great. One of the things that struck me at the, about the origin of your, of your story, and I, you know, we have, it's, it's very interesting to me that we do these things that seem insignificant, like taking our daughter to a movie. And they become the foundation for something really meaningful, I think. And we don't necessarily know it at the time. And for me, that's what it really like wow that became a very powerful part of the story and the connection that, that you and Abby have and then when I got into the book a little bit more you were um, you had written about uh, your affinity for uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and yes. this whole Love the man. <laughs> he's the British writer and physician right and 
wrote or created yes. the character Sherlock Holmes. So exactly. can you talk about that for a second and, you know, how that formed a little bit of your, um, I guess, interest in curiosity about the topic we're headed toward? Yeah. You know, so as a kid, uh, uh, for I think it was my 12th or 13th birthday, I asked for the complete works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, on Sherlock Holmes. And, and as a little kid, I, I, I read it all. And it was just fascinating. I was fascinated by this doctor. Uh, Doyle was a physician, but he had this amazing diagnostic ability. And he would he would simply look at a man's hat and do a complete diagnosis by looking at the man's hat and said he's divorced, his wife left him, <laughs> he's lost all his money. And, and, and Watson would go, what? And and uh, I was just fascinated by that. And all those years passed, you know, that was all stuck in my brain. And then I end up becoming a um, a doctor, and uh, uh-huh. and it just was in my head, and I and it just evolved into this um, desire to see what no one else is seeing, simply because they're not looking. Uh, you know, one of my mantras is when I teach other doctors, I always say, you know, look with a better eye, hear with a better ear, and think with a better mind and heart. Because we don't, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. That's not what it says. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart. Did I read that right? We're supposed to think with mm. our heart? Yeah, I, I think we are. So I, I treated mm. my patients the same way. I certainly used my mind and, and I enjoyed the the intellect that my Father in Heaven gave me. But, <clears throat> but my heart energy was what made me a, a better human, a better doctor. And... Uh, uh, it, it just it, it just it's it, Tony Dungy in his book um, Uncommon he says uh, what's down in the well was, will come up in the bucket, and uh, I, I've lived that my entire life. I like putting lots of stuff down in my well because I eventually have to call upon it, and I drop that bucket, and up comes the answer that I didn't even know I had, <laughs> but it was down down in the well. Yeah, and I, we talked about that before on on this podcast about how strengths can also turn into weaknesses, and you know you can you can overthink things with your brain and then lose the message, lose what you're really supposed to see with your heart and probably vice versa. You know, you can, you can also be too heart centered and forget that you actually have to turn your thinking cap on. And I I was struck by earlier in your career, your, the zeal for learning kind of thing. And you ended up at a a how to seminar in new Orleans. (laughs) And it it makes me laugh. It makes me think about how you get to this, you know, um, you know, how God makes a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert it says in isaiah so you started this six this trip this success seminar tell me tell us about that and how it turned into your your really interesting meeting i'm in new orleans and i uh the course was called charting the guy has died since so uh but it was you know doctors are bad businessmen for the most part uh i i I follow that category but i'm smart enough (laughs) to realize put people in charge of the things that i don't know or care about and then things will go very smoothly so i i'm actually a very good businessman because I know I'm not a good businessman. Yeah. So uh-huh. I'm here to to learn and and it started off and you get this check in your spirit like yeah I don't think this is right and the one of the things he said is uh, this was before computers and uh, you know uh, social media existed but he said go buy two thousand cards on the back of each card write this guy's really great give him a call and then drop that card <laughs> in phone booths and at the table and you know and, and I'm going. 
well, you know, it just it just did not uh, fit with my personality and what the energy that I wanted to put on. Do you, do you want a patient come to you that starts with a lie? <laughs> it's just like now I would do that for you do. today, just so you know. I would write that on the back of a card for you. But yeah, well, that's you don't have to fine do it for if someone else because it, that's not a lie. But uh, but to do right. it before you have one patient under your belt is a little different <laughs> situation. And then there was a second and a third. By the time you got to the fourth putrid idea i thought i gotta i gotta walk out out of here you know i had my yellow <laughs> hello my name is dr todd frisch and yellow on my uh, you know pasted to my shirt and i'm walking down the hall and i i look in this room and there's this little little asian fellow it looked like mr miyagi he had a little goatee and a little tummy and uh, he was sitting at this table and people were lined up they would walk up and he would say some things, look at their tongue, and they would walk away with their head shaking. So I thought to myself, I wonder what this is about. I'm, I'm being sleazy on this other thing. Why don't I just <laughs> sneak, in, sneak into this room? And uh, so I, I get up to the front of the line, and this guy has me stick my tongue out. He looks at me, and he tells me, not only my father is dead, but the time of my life he died mm. and what he died from. Now, <clears throat> my father was an alcoholic. Whoa. Himself to death when, when I was, uh, when I was uh, in the fourth grade. I was 11 years old, I think, mm. nine years old, whatever. Um, and I and I walked away thinking I, I, my wife was singing. I was nine years old. Uh, I flunked a couple of times. She, I didn't tell her that. Uh, so I. <laughs> Uh, so I I, uh, I thought, oh, how does he know that? And, you know, I, I never got the guy's name. I never knew anything about him after that. I just shook my head. But it, right. I mean, this was like 1981 or 82. And uh, I, I spent the rest of my life trying to figure that thing out. And uh, the, the culmination of that is the, the book that you had uh, have in your hands. And uh, it really mm. is about being able to, to take what's there and make it something more than it is and see what no one else is seeing. We all see it. It's just like, it's like reading Russian. You know, you look at it, you go, I can't read that. And then somebody teaches you how to do it. And all of a sudden, I'm not good at it, but I can read it. And then eventually you become very good at it. And you can then, you can do lots with it. So um, we wanted to write a book that the public would like, but also that doctors could utilize to help them better understand their patients. And uh, which is, Abby asked me that, what, what, what do you want this book to be, Dad? And I said, and I said that exact thing, good for people and good for doctors. And he, she said, well, you know, that's not possible. And I said, you asked me what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and she's okay, let's do it. And uh, and we did it. And uh, it, it, mm. it uh, I, I'm so proud of the words she put on that those pages. I gave her carte blanche. I said, do what you want, design it how you want mm -hmm. to choose the colors and she goes dad you're kind of a control freak and i said well <laughs> not in this situation uh, uh, this one's about you and i and she took it and formatted it in such a way that uh and i totally disagreed with the colors and the form formatting and yet when it was all said no it was like wow that was pretty cool glad i didn't let my prejudices uh, take over what what a really special thing to get to do and sort of st i think starts with the back to the movie thing you know spending the time with abby and <clears throat> getting be to be able to to spend this time with her and she obviously is very good at this facial diagnosis uh thing best, best uh thing. this and and now you've got a chance to sit down and write this book with her and it's got to be just extremely meaningful obviously you alluded to that yeah yeah, absolutely. It is just, um, it is just, it, it's special. One of the things I really admire about you is how you connect the dots in general. I think many of us go through life and we just are sort of tossed by the wind and the sea a little bit. And we don't necessarily pay attention to what that event meant or what this means to me now. Or And, and not everything has this, you know, deep undertone of meeting. 
meaning. However, I, I kind of I like this whole idea. You, you've had some dreams in your life. You've had a few life changing dreams. I, I think you would define them. And one of those I'd love to hear you talk about is this what what the idea of the sweet spot of life is. And I've got a way that yeah. something that uh, to me was a, a great connection in your book. So tell us about that dream. Yeah. So I, I've had these profound um, prophetic powerful dreams and and same voice every dream i always describe it as james earl jones with a 10x on it it's just it's this <laughs> i think it's the voice of god and uh, and <clears throat> somebody says what does the voice sound like and i described that but it, it wasn't so much a voice it was an energy and i've had many of these dreams i've looked forward to them and uh, uh the first one i had a set of three dreams they all uh, were two words the first one was intention versus attention which was just powerful to me because we're what we pay uh, attention to will drive our intention so at the mm -hmm. end of the day if you're spending three hours on the on the uh, computer looking at pornography what's what's your intention going to be the next day because what your attention was will drive your intention so you, you got to pay mm -hmm. attention to what you're going to end up being your intention the other one was uh, ignorance versus arrogance you know uh, uh, it's it's just uh, uh, which is the sweet spot of life uh, the third one was uh, information versus affirmation where we we all like affirmation we'll watch the things that make us feel good um, but really to gain knowledge you have to abandon and a little bit of your belief system and gain information. But when I got this um, this middle one, this um, this it, the voice said, "You need to sit down for this." <laughs> I'll never forget that <laughs> that feeling. And he said, "I'm going to teach you the sweet spot of life." And he said, "The sweet spot of life is absolutely one halfway between ignorance and arrogance." I, I don't mind being ignorant because I have my books and I can get smart. I can learn. But sadly, I've you know I've I've touched the arrogant side of the uh, that fence more often. Often that I'm proud to share, and it's an unhealthy place to be. But that sweet spot, halfway in between, is is where life should. Uh, we should try to focus our life on that, on that bullseye. Well, you know, I, I think that the, some of the things that I personally struggle with is this idea of people see us in sometimes how not necessarily how we see ourselves. And I think a lot of people will, would look at a doctor and say, that doctor, they're so smart. You know, I, it's almost, yeah. so there's, you're already have a little bit of uh, the deck stacked against you from the arrogant standpoint, because people see you smarter than them. And my kids tell me, I, everybody thinks I look mean. I'm like, I can't help it. I <laughs> think I'm pretty nice, but uh, you know, I, I was born with this face, right? But you, sure. the, the, the connect the dots thing for me, for in the book on this piece is, and I, I'm pretty sure this story or this event in your practice happened quite a bit earlier than this dream. But you talk about a story with a patient named Evelyn. Oh my goodness! You want to you tear, yeah. share that story? Um, no, I got <laughs> Yeah, I got to work up uh, some strength here because I always tear up every time I tell that story. So uh, I'm I'm young and I'm brilliant, <laughs> and sadly <laughs> only one of those adjectives was in fact describing me. And uh, and so this little old lady comes in. I always describe her as a white gloves after Easter gal. So um, she was holding white gloves in her hand because Easter had passed and uh, now you can wear white gloves. You have to wear dark gloves in the winter and white gloves <laughs> after Easter is when <laughs> this, this, that deciding point is. Um, and she took a bus because she didn't drive and a little white haired lady, very gentle spirit about her. And in her history, uh, back in the, this was in the 80s, I, I met her early 80s, and uh, in her history back in the 60s, she wrote down that she had glioblastoma, which is uh, the deadliest form of brain cancer mm. known to man. And um, you're not going to survive it. You're going to die if you have glioblastoma. And uh, short of a miracle from our Father in heaven. And uh, and I, I said, I, I said, Miss so-and-so, I, I 
I see you wrote down glioblastoma, and I said, and you're still here. I mean, this this pretty serious thing. I, uh, you're probably wrong. She says, no, no, that's what I had. So I took a little more history, and I went back to it a second time, and I said, now, you, you need to understand, this. <laughs> there's really no survival rate of this thing, so I, you probably didn't have that. She says, no, no, that's what I have. And so I, I <laughs> take a little more history. I go back a third time, and now I'm going, Ellen, I'm no longer being polite. Ellen, you <laughs> obviously did not have this because you're sitting here in front of me, and, uh, and, and you know, you, you, it was wrong. There's just, there is no survival rate. And and she just as quietly as she could, she leaned forward and she said, Sonny. <laughs> and I went, okay. <laughs> and I immediately shut up because now it's my mother in front of me. And she said, um, I... I, I understand the gravity of the situation because uh, I use that word so I do understand the gravity of this and, and she says I'm an intelligent woman I, I was a librarian all my life and she said I, I got the diagnosis and she said and when I was praying that night uh, um, I just decided not to participate in the disease mm-hmm. and my mouth hit my mouth hit the <laughs> table I mean it just I go you can do that <laughs> you know because I'm, I'm young and brilliant and I and what what a great message Message to uh, for a young doctor to get that that you can actually use your brain to change the course of your life. You don't have to accept the gravity of the situation as I uh, impressed upon her. And uh, it, it was a life-changing event in my life. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it was kind of that AD, BCAD kind of thing <laughs> event in my life. And I'll never forget her. She died uh, in mm. her late 90s in a nursing home, just fell asleep one night and, and left this earthly plane uh, with the greatest gift I ever got. Well, I, I so appreciate this story uh, also. and moves me, as you already know, I'm a, I'm a crier myself, but the... Yeah. Um, (laughs) the idea that, you know, it's sort of an admission, like, man, I I thought I have it all figured out. And then I realized, Mm -hmm. you know, there's more than one way to skin this cat. And, uh, you know, you talk about being arrogant. I I was being arrogant. (laughs) I I, obviously I was very ignorant of how life really is. Well, you know, all of these things, um, kind of shape who we are. And speaking of shape, one of the things that sort of think developed from these prophetic dreams you feel like you've had in your life where you feel like God's speaking to you is the the idea of shape reclaimed. I'd love to talk about that for a minute as well and just where that started from because a lot of the things including Alliance for Shared Health and our health share program kind of get birth from our own need, right? And I think shape reclaimed could be defined that way. It it is. So (laughs) shape was birthed um, as a weight loss program and I don't like weight loss programs. I, I, I think they're tacky they're they're just wrong energy about them but now my wife comes to me menopausal gained a few pounds and losing lost her mind and she said to me you help everybody but you're not helping me and I said well there's <laughs> nothing wrong and she goes oh, I can't lose weight and I, you know I did the right things as a husband and you're beautiful and all that kind of stuff but it came down to how those blue <laughs> jeans fit so now uh, I went into this knowing um, I had two thoughts when I when I uh, in the formation of building shape uh, reclaimed. One was all diets fail because they all do. Uh, number two is it can't be just metabolic. It, it, it's got to be something different. Uh, certainly, there's the, your thyroid disorders that cause weight gain, that kind of stuff. But I, I felt it was something more than that. And I'd spend a lot of years studying stress because I had disdain for that word. I always thought it was the medical cop out. Is oh honey, your stress takes some Prozac. Um, mm-hmm. So I I took that same 
passion for asking questions and applied it now to a, a, a thing that I have disdain for, all diets fail. So then I asked myself, why do all diets fail? And I realized all diets fail because the brain gets a message that it's starving. So you can start a low calorie diet or whatever, but if you send a message to your brain, the brain is going to uh, gonna go, I'm gonna fix you for this. And, uh, and the Atkins diet is a classic example. It was a very popular diet back in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. And it was it was a ketogenic diet and, and he wanted to enlarge ketosis, which to me is starvation to the brain. So um, so the guy comes in at 240, uh, goes on Atkins and just crushes it. He's down to 200, feeling better than he ever has, and eats a piece of bread and all hell breaks loose. And within <laughs> moments, uh, you know, uh, within, within six, seven weeks, his body goes right back to the 240 where he was and then the, and the brain says, you know, you starve me. I'm going to raise what's called a set point and take it uh, take you up to 260. So if the diet's just failed 100, percent it's 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 bad enough. But when it fails 140, percent that's not so good. So all day right. all day it's failed, and it can't be just metabolic. And I felt it was the brain. So then I had to figure out well, how do I determine if the brain is starving? And I've hit the books again, Guyton's Physiology, which we all us doctors that was our bible because we all use the same book, Guyton's Physiology. And I realized that there is a simple test. It's a urine analysis. It's called a Diascreen 10. You measure 10 things on the urine, five of which tell us that you're in starvation. And I was able to um, work this out and I built my own product. Um, uh, it's a it's an herbal remedy combined with, a, we have a product and a program. So we we were able to make a huge difference. My wife lost 30 plus pounds and I began using it with patients and the word got out because I lectured and I had a face that you know people knew because I taught license renewal and that kind of stuff for the state um people heard about so i want to you know i want to know about this and and uh, and i had to buy buy a thousand bottles of this stuff you can't just go out and buy 20 bottles and test it out i had to buy a thousand so i kind of bet the farm on this thing and it just it grew exponentially it just grew into what is now a national company and i'm um, i'm proud of the work my wife did to to get it going we've we've now created a, a whole system that is trying to make it easy uh but it has to be practitioner monitored because i believe in the theory of bio-individuality, everybody is unique. No matter mm-hmm. if everybody mm-hmm. had lung cancer, if ten, if hundred people had lung cancer, you've got a hundred different possible things that can happen there. You can't just say, "Oh, lung cancer, we'll treat it this way." There's too many other right. factors that come into this equation. So, with the theory of bioindividuality, which is really how the book got written, because I wanted to look at each person as a unique individual, uh, we were able to then accomplish that with uh, with shape and and changing the program based on what that urine analysis told us. So. so as we saw starvation, we altered their diet and we had great success and very little recidivism. Well, and before any of our listeners think that this is, hey, every, we, let's tell everybody about how they can lose weight. For me, the thing that struck me in the process, even though Shape Reclaim is, is great for that, is for I think yes. you really ended up describing this as an anti-inflammatory program. And that right. infl- right. when you reduce the inflammation, then the ability of the body to really heal itself is now right. sort of restored. Right. Is, that, is that a fair way to say? Yes. So one of the things that I had to teach my patients was, you know, they would say, you know, if I lose, I need to lose weight so I can get healthy. And I go, time out. I want want you to reframe that. We need to get healthy so you can lose weight. Mm -hmm. And yes, Shape was birthed as a weight loss program. And then I saw all the miracles happening. I saw C-reactive protein plummet. I saw blood 
uh, pressure plummet. I saw blood lipids plummet. I saw blood sugar plummet. All these things came into a, uh, to normalcy. And I realized, hey, this is way more than a weight loss program. This is restoring people to a healthier state. And this restoration mm-hmm. of health, you know, so shape is anti-inflammatory. It's immunoenhancing. It's a mild detox. And the side effect is weight loss. What an amazing side effect. Right. And so we've had to reframe our message completely. And I, I don't want it um, out there as a weight loss program. That's why people come in because they want to lose weight. But I would do the ultimate bait and switch with them and, and turn it into a a, yeah. a, a wellness program. I, forever I'd have people come in and say, you know, I, I, I'm here to do your weight loss program. And my classic line was, I don't have one. Well, my friend lost mm. 40 pounds. I said, nah, your friend did a wellness approach, got healthy and the side effect was this weight loss. Well, whatever. I, I, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, so, but I wanted to reframe their thinking because even the word loss is the wrong message that you want to send to the brain if you think about how complex the brain is. Right. When you lose something, you want to get it back, don't you? So Yeah, and as a father sure. of two... How about release? Oh, sorry, sorry, Todd. Yeah. Yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, as a father of, of two daughters, I, you know, the world just comes at our kids so hard with this message yeah. of you have to have a perfect looking body. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I even see it and just, you know, kind of sometimes worry for them because my, my daughters are absolutely beautiful. They're beautiful in every way oh, possible. And they're like, how do we, you know, how do we lose the message that's being, you know, get rid of the this message that's being broadcast to them that this isn't about you being what the world tells you is the perfect weight. This is right. uh, the the journey is how can you be as healthy as possible? I love that about shape. And you've had you had a great impact on my health as well. And as we start to get into this a little bit more about what the book is about, um, if, when I first came into you, and this is real scratch the surface of the book, but it started with really iridology and facial diagnosis. And uh, that was a uh, kind of a wow moment for me, probably like you with Mr. Miyagi, right? Um, I was I yeah, kind of exactly, just exactly. walked out of that room shaking. The, I mean, you've seen thousands and thousands of patients, but maybe you could. I don't. I don't know that you'll remember the day, first day that I came in, but maybe you'll can can relate what some of that is like for for you and your patients sure, when sure. they experience that. Well, again, it comes back to this training we have as doctors. This what's wrong mentality, and I had too many patients that. Uh, uh, they had just a myriad of symptoms and nothing was wrong medically. So are they lying? Is it all in their head? And my belief was, no, nah, it's not all in their head. So I began to look for ways to determine what's not right. It sounds like semantics, but uh, there's a great quote by um, by Mark Hyman. He's a prolific medical doctor, author and medical doctor. And he said, do not name and blame, but think and link. And I, that's, mm. the first time I heard that, I heard Dr. Oz interviewing him. And he, he said that on, on this uh, radio show. And I went, Oh, well, that's going to be a life changer for me because I was trained to name and blame, you know? Oh, you've got, and now if you got a definitive diagnosis, that's great. You can name it and blame it. But what about the, these things like irritable bowel and chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, none of which have diagnostic parameters that can determine it, yet they, they exist. You know, it, it was just fascinating to me. So I began that think and link mentality and I had to develop a, a way of assessing patients using my feeling that everyone is unique. We have to have bio-individuality. And then I had to think and link and I had to have mechanisms. So I, I had always been interested in uh, traditional Chinese medicine. And that's where this um, face diagnosis come from. It's called Mian Cheng in, in, in uh, Chinese. It's um, Bo Xin in Japanese. Um, and I 
I studied it. I studied uh, iridology. I studied Galen's four humors. I studied uh, all these different techniques. And I developed a system of analysis that truly told me what was not right in the body. Now, I could look at someone and mm. say, you've got a liver problem, but I couldn't tell if it was non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or if they had hepatitis or had liver cancers. I can just say, that, mm-hmm. you know, you got something going on with your liver. And uh, and then, then you look at the symptoms. And so I took a good history. Um, I, I did this wellness exam where I looked at what was not right. I certainly looked at what was wrong. I had blood tests and did orthopedic and neurological tests and all those kind of things. And I took all that data and put it in this thing on top of my head called my brain above my eyes and just let it all percolate. It came up with, okay, we've got a problem here, here, and here. This is how I know it. This sort of means this is what we're going to do to try to help it. But I would engage the the patient uh, uh, in the healing process because there's an energy in our society today that the government will take care of our health care. I've got, I've got Medicare now, and they'll take care of my health. No, wrong message to send. The message is you're in charge of your health, and use that when you need to, but do what you need to do to get uh, get healthy. They, they believe by 2030, one-third of this nation is going to be diabetic. That's a scary thought. And it's the number one cause of blindness, number one cause of kidney disease, kidney failure. And one third of this nation, you think that, what do you think that's going to do to our healthcare system? It's, it's going to crush it. It's going to bury it. Right. Well, I, that, I think in the health share model, our members come in and they have a little bit different mindset of, okay, traditional healthcare isn't working, or at least health insurance isn't working. And I need a different way to access medical reimbursement. I think that's one of the reasons our membership has grown. And there's still still kind of this reticence to, okay, is this whole new concept going to work? And so when I walked into your office, I had years and years of lower back issues, um, all kinds of gut, some gut issues. And just like, uh, I, I think it was after the first visit, you said, okay, well, after about eight or 10 visits, you'll probably never need to see me again for this back issue. And that proved to be true. I've never fought those things again. And the it just reframed my thinking and I one of the th- I really appreciate in your book you have this life lesson number one number yeah. I think you have 12 or 13 in there and number one is reframing your thinking and expanding your mind for me it was a game changer and I'm kind of hoping for listeners they go well okay may, I've never thought about it from this angle before it's not right or wrong it's just different and we're all different so you know what's going to work for you so right. that that whole concept of reframing your thinking I think it's huge with uh, what you've learned in your career. Absolutely. And look, look at what you're doing. You're reframing these people's minds. Health share. Does that, does that sell with, set well with your heart? It does with mine. You know, <laughs> let's share. Uh, let's, let's all jump in here. And it's, it's really uh, the ultimate principle that should exist. Self-responsibility is the key. And uh, look, we're all broken. I, I read a great line, um, by Ernest Hemingway. He said, we're all broken, but that's how the light gets in. And I thought, wow, what a great way of looking at how broken we are as, as human beings. It's what lets the light in. And the light is, you know, our Father in Heaven right. and the Son. And that, that, is, that is the true light that we're all seeking. And that is the true healing that has to exist. But it has to come, it has to come from within. And it's just, um, uh, it, it's just a remarkable, um, when you reframe your thinking, um, it, 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 it will change the progression of your life. There's no small choices in life. They're all big. From the cereal you choose in the morning till the person you choose as a, as a mate. There, there are no small decisions. Mm. I've taught that to my kids all my life. Well, our journey into the health share world, really, I, I have to credit you with it because at one point you had said you're a member of a health share program and, and 
I, in general, think I'm pretty good at thinking outside the box, and maybe that's part of my own arrogance and trying to find that sweet spot between arrogance and ignorance and, uh, you know, realizing you there, wait a second, huh? What's that all about? And so we, we sort of learned about HealthShare from you intimating that was something you're already doing. And you, yeah. uh, well, your, your life lesson number two, I'd love to hear you comment on this one because it's, it's the phrasing you use is honor the doors that have been closed and the prayers that oh, go on un- yeah. unanswered. Yeah, so what, yeah, tell me yeah. about that one a little bit. So um, I, um, I dropped out of college three times, kind of couldn't find my way in life. <laughs> and uh, and I worked at this Clark gas station. I bought and sold cars. My brother was a used car salesman and I would he would sell me these cars for 25 bucks. I'd, I'd clean them up and sell them for 75 bucks. And I bought and sold antiques because I just, and people would bug me. Talk about your daughters being picked on because, or the society saying you have to be this certain body shape. People right. knew me in town, in this little town. And what's a smart kid like you not, not why are you pumping gas? And it just tore at my soul, and I mm. just kind of bothered me. And so I, 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 there was a job to be a fireman, and you work 24 hours on, and you got 48 hours off. And I'm thinking, well, this is the best job in the world. And I thought, man, I can, I can, I could be a fireman. I could do my antiques. I could do, I could just, I, I could be a, a mega, mega millionaire here with my, with my ability to, <laughs> on that schedule. And so I took the civil service test and crushed it. And then there was a, uh, you had to go through some training. Um, could you run this far and carry this much? And, and then I had to go through the uh, interview with the board. And I thought I just crushed it. And I, I knew I had the job. And I prayed fervently that this was the answer to all my problems in the world. And they hired the morbidly obese nephew. Of the fire chief and I didn't get the job and I was devastated. Now, that happens in my life. And then life happens. I meet this chiropractor. I score my 54 points and I become a doctor. <laughs> and uh, and now I've, um, I've uh, my career is just fantastic. My successes are so much greater than my abilities simply because I think the Lord has blessed my life. And, and I wondered if just the fact that we prayed every morning as a staff for every patient that came through our door, is that why I had such great success? And I, and I think it is. <laughs> that, it's that, mm. quite that simple. Mm-hmm. But but now I've developed shape. Uh, my life is like remarkable, and I'm I'm Linda's up at her uh, up at our place in northern Wisconsin. I'm working, and I'm I'm driving up, and I decide to I'm going to push it all the way. I got off work at four o'clock, and I've got this ten hour drive in front of me. But so I'm I'm falling asleep in the car driving, and so I decide to switch it to to uh, uh, country western because <laughs> that'll keep me awake. And I hear this Garth Brooks unanswered prayers, and if you hear the song, it's he prayed to have this beautiful lady, and he meets her later. In life and then I'm uh, that's not keeping me awake so I flip it over to the Joel Olstein station and he he talks uh, he's doing a sermon on uh, God who closes doors and he's talking about you know sometimes God will close the door in order for you not to walk through a door because it's not the course your life should go on and I'm, I'm approaching exit uh, 208 uh, to my hometown on highway 39 going north to my cabin and as I'm approaching this the sermon ends and I'm thinking wow you know my doors w- was closed I prayed. I didn't get that job as a fireman. And a, a, about three in the morning, this fire truck goes <laughs> goes flying across the viewing screen of my life, coming off uh, on exit 208. And it, I just burst into tears. I thought, mm. my goodness, my my whole existence in life uh, was changed by God uh, not answering a prayer and closing a door. So when those things happen in my life now, I go, okay, you know. <laughs> when the cop stops me for speeding, I say, thank you. I'm sure. I you just avoided a head-on collision uh, because of what you did for me. So it's it's just a matter of reframing your brain. Well, 
the one of the the verses in the Bible that constantly speaks to me is Luke eighteen six, and he when Jesus says, "When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth?" And this the the world is kind of crazy right now, and it's pretty. We all have a tendency <laughs> to be in this moment. It we want what we want right now, and part of faith is just the process of going. Okay, well, th- this might be the, a different road to get. You know, he makes God makes the crooked paths straight, right? And I, I think it was Abby in the book that that a quote that she uh, uh, quoted in the book that said, "You'll you won't receive a formal invitation to your dreams." And right. she talks right. about this uh, looking at the the photo of Hugh Griffin, and and yes. that was sort of her her aha moment. You know, that exactly. that might exactly. be seeing that you had taught her a whole lot about facial diagnosis, and she goes, "Oh man." I'm starting to get this. And then it sort of, I think the way I read the book was that sort of moved her closer toward the direct direction in the path she's on now, if that's right. Exactly. You know, uh, you always want at least one of your kids to kind of, you know, follow your, your lead a little bit. And, and Abby is obviously in, in my, with my children, she's the one that has really um, jumped onto this thing. And she's the best diagnostician I have ever trained. Uh, just nothing short mm. of remarkable. She'll do some things and I go, wow, I didn't see that. And, you know, that's always a good thing when the master gets humbled. <laughs> and uh, and so it's really mm. created a, a, a wonderful um, uh, relationship builder for Abby and I, because, you know, we're in an airport together and, okay, Dad, what do you see? Okay, Abby, what do you see? And and uh, it's kind of, and we all see it. We just haven't had legs put to some of these kind of things. If you see a large bulbous nose and you know that bulbous nose represents the heart, there's too much too much in the heart. The heart is enlarged. That person's going to have heart issues, and they do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's extremely diagnostic. That, that makes sense. And I think one of the things that connects you and I uh, is we do have a desire and, a, and an ambition to, ha- to for people to get and stay healthy. Now, you, you do it on a practitioner level, and we, we do hopefully are doing some of that through our health share program. But I, I'd love to talk for a moment uh, or hear you talk for a moment about the difference between disease and dis-ease, if you would. Sure. Can you comment on that philosophy? Yeah. So as a doctor, you... you you know, uh, Covey talks about start with the end in mind. Well, that's great. <laughs> Unless you're a doctor, because you can't start with them, right? Because you don't know what you're going to learn and create the, the world. And so when you look back at your career as a physician, you see commonalities and common denominators. And, and I, I paid attention to that. And I, I go, you know, I'm seeing this pattern. What does that mean? So it allowed me to develop my, my uh, just formally in my brain, my way of looking at health. And my philosophy is simple. We all start healthy hopefully, and we all live a nice long life, we end up dying. Now, somewhere between those two points of reference, we're going to land. And the process from health to death, I refer to as dis-ease. There's a disharmony. So when when we leave a healthy state, I feel there's three steps we go through. When we leave health, we go in, we, we go through what I call a qi phase. And that's, in Chinese medicine, means life force, life energy. In this phase, you don't feel bad, you just don't feel right. It, 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 something's just not right. And then you move to what I call the water phase. And in this phase, you've got symptoms and nobody can figure out what's going on, which literally 
the majority of my people came to me had symptoms with no known cause. The third phase is where medicine shines. This is I call the blood phase. This is where the blood tests, the x-rays, the MRIs will show the abnormalities and, and medicine is going to label you sick or well. But look at the problem here. The problem is you got to be two-thirds sick before medicine sees anything wrong. And that's not a slam mm-hmm. against medicine. I'm just telling you the facts. So I switched from that blood phase thinking the what's wrong mentality and went over to what's not right. And that was the, the beginning of my thought process as I looked back and saw these patterns. And it just evolved into the diagnostic abilities I, I now possess with that what's not right mentality. And it, it just mm. gives you some clues as to what's going on. Then you take history, you take all these kind of things and combine it within the medical data that's there. And all of a sudden, wow, you've got um, you've got an issue with your gallbladder. Let's, let's, let's fix it. If somebody says they've got gas and bloating, they're telling you what's going on. The G stands for gall or gas. The B stands for bloating or bladder. It's a gallbladder problem. You're, mm. If you've got gas and bloating, there's an imbalance in your gallbladder. You'll have muscle spasms. You'll tend to be angry. Uh, it'll be more apt to have angry. One-sided headaches are extremely common because the gallbladder meridian starts at your eye, goes across the top of your head, goes down your side, and comes out your your um, your second to last toe. So these muscle tension and all these things, all of a sudden it goes, oh, most of the gallbladder problem. Let's let's eat more apples because they're high in malic acid. And that that will thin your bile and allow your gallbladder to work better. Because God mm. put all our medicine in on this earth. <laughs> you know, man is the one that turned them into prescription drugs. I'm not against prescription drugs, but let's try some things that make you well. Right. That's a, I think it's the the leaves will be for the health of the nations. I think is what it says in, in Proverbs, uh, which is it does. It does in Proverbs. Yeah. So when you, you the dot that you connect with this idea of dis-ease is life lesson number four, which is learn the importance of hope. Um, yeah. I think yeah. what you're saying you're is so many patients. That, What's that? T- say it again. You, you, you're going to make me talk about that one, aren't you? <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, I had hope taken away from me at one time in my life. So, um, and I, well, I'll, how about I do? You, I'll do you this favor first. So I'll I'll, I'll so go ahead. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'll I'll, I'll give you. I'm going to share a little on my own so that um, you know this idea of hope. It it struck a nerve with me because my wife yeah. had. I used to tell the terrible joke that um you know hope is not a strategy is what i would say when somebody you know my wife would say i hope i hope i say well hope is not a strategy well you know (laughs) one day i come home and there's this uh scrabble words up on our bookshelf h-o-p-e right and i'm like and yeah i said that's my stupid joke hope is not a strategy and uh well (laughs) my wife said well that's the only thing keeping me in this marriage right now right so like whoops um changed changed my view of that word pretty quickly Mm -hmm. um and we're we're just about 25 years in now so i you know i I, i'm looking over at my wall going seeing that on the wall going oh my gosh okay (laughs) uh that's a pretty important word and so when i read that life lesson number four i'm like i'm gonna have to ask todd about that but i'm gonna have to try and gut out what my own lesson i learned on the importance of hope so now now that i've shared i'll I'll ask you to share i I will i will share and by the way they say the first 50 years of marriage are the toughest so you you know you're halfway (laughs) (laughs) so uh um you know Corey, we all got a story uh and it's what we do with our story that um 
makes us who we are or who we aren't, uh, I guess the other side. Right. But um, um, my story is my first two children died with my first wife. And uh, um, that, that's a tough hit, you know. Um, that, that's oh, man. a lot of things that are bad. And that, that would that would top the list of most people. Um, first little girl, um, she was born. She didn't breathe when she was born. She lived about 20 minutes and, and passed. Beautiful little girl. Um, my second um, I was born, I was at school at the time in, in uh, Iowa. I'm going to with my medical training and, and he didn't breathe either when he was born but he was revived and um, and uh, he mm. never cried he never sucked we fed him with what's called an NG tube um, he just uh, was pretty much lifeless uh, severe brain damage and uh, we had a husband and wife pediatric team and he was wonderful and uh, she was uh, Satan's daughter is the best <laughs> description mm. I could give of her and um, th- a couple days before he died we rushed him to the hospital he had quit breathing and uh, he's in the um, emergency room and the, the people are grabbing me to pull me out and I said I'm, I'm not leaving and they said well we can't have a scene I said you want a scene try pulling me out of here might as well call the police right now and I said if he dies yeah. I'm going to be holding him in my arms and, uh, mm. and they said alright alright and uh, so I was standing there and they were working on him uh, trying to revive him and and um, a nurse asked a question and I had this evil woman um, the the wife of the, the guy that I liked um, some, somebody asked a question I answered and she turned around she was maybe five foot tall and uh, she had dark hair with a with a it's burned in my memory of just this absolute bangs that, and she came to a point and I, I hate that hairdo to this day and she looked up at me and she said you realize there's no hope here and I, and I, mm. I looked at her I just oh. and I watched my right I watched my right arm come off my body and go for her neck and yeah. I, I think about the end of her life I think God would have said well done my faithful servant you know <laughs> uh, I, literally had a, I, I literally had to grab my arm and pull it back but that mm. moment as ugly as that moment was in my life I, I can't take hope away from patients to this day I, even if right. I know they've got 17 breaths left I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not going there I, I'm, I won't take away hope and don't no one has a right to ever do that to you don't ever let that happen I, I, well, I have I, to share this with the audience that's listening. Yeah, I described so. Corey. Uh, uh, the first time I met Corey and got to know him was up by our fire pit. You had come to my uh, house and seen my books up, uh, just like in, in uh, Beauty and the Beast, and we got to know each other. Right. And I, I described Corey as uh, he would charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun and a smile on his face. <laughs> and that is my <laughs> absolute <laughs> description of, of Corey Durbin. And it is very accurate. So, you know, it... Uh, uh, it made me who I am. Would I have liked to choreograph that lesson differently? Oh my goodness! You can't know the number of tears that I've shed, um, mm. you know, over those events. But it's my story, and uh, and I, it, it will, you know, uh, it it makes us who we are, and we all have a story. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I know it's not easy to do, and no. <laughs> I, I think what you just said is is really what it's all about. I mean, people can look at somebody on TV or hear them talk and think, "Well, they got it all together." No, nobody's got it all together, and we've all been through yeah. stuff. And some of us are more honest about the stuff we've been through than, than others. But this idea of hope—you yeah. talk about hope, and you talk about targeting health—and yeah. I was I was amused at, after that section because I think part of giving hope is the idea of let's let's target health for 
your patients. Let's target target health for our members. And you, you sort of end that section with life lesson number five, which was never put a fat farmer on a juice fast. <laughs> it kind of cracked me up, but it seems to fit this idea of one size doesn't fit all and this, yeah. uh, you know, bio individuality concept. But I don't know. That's that's yeah. a funny story if, if you feel like sharing it. Yeah, I do. I do. So uh, I got into I read a book by Professor Arnold Erath, the rational fasting and the mucusless diet healing system was his uh, second version of that. He cured himself of consumption, which is tuberculosis by doing juice fast. So I went into that and I was into pH and alkalizing the body and that kind of stuff. So I didn't care what you had. You got you got sciatica, you got ulcerative colitis. I'm putting you on 21 day care juice fast because uh, I was I was brilliant and uh, you know one size fits all. You know everybody's gonna slip in there. So this guy came he came to me and he he had a hard time getting up into his tractor. A younger guy, but his legs were weak and you needed. And his wife had a bowel issue and I I really helped her with this with his care juice fast. So this morbidly obese farmer now he's spraying toxic chemicals on his property. He's thousands of acres. <laughs> Every every spring, the things that farmers do for us. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So now he's breathing all these toxins in, and he's really fat. And the body will store toxins in fat cells. So I put him on this juice fast for 21 days, and about two thirds into it, the guy passes out. I mean, he just—they can't wake him. And and, it's only funny because I know the end. So yeah, right, right. So she calls me and said, "I can't wait." So and so up. I'm not going to use the name, but they were in the middle of Illinois. They, they drove a couple hours to see me. <laughs> so I got real close to the Lord on my drive up there, thinking I don't want my career to end. <laughs> and uh, so I get up there, I check his vitals. He's fine. And uh, and uh, I said, you know, everything's fine here. I, I, let's let's not panic. And part of that was don't go. <laughs> Don't, don't go to the hospital and find, you know, they're going to turn me in for, you know, have, trying to kill this guy or whatever. But right. What happened was when he woke up, um, he had this massive bowel movement and he and he, he said it smelled just like the chemicals I sprayed <laughs> on on my fields. And I and I thought, aha, his body could not keep him alive awake and also heal him because we heal we, during during the day we're going through catabolism we're breaking down but at night we're doing anabolic activity we're building up so he, his body says I, I can't fix you and have you awake because it won't get done so it shut him down for three days three and a half days which is how long wow. he was out and uh, he he his legs his strength returned because his liver got cleansed the liver governs muscle in traditional Chinese medicine and his strength came back to his legs but mm. <laughs> I decided perhaps I shouldn't juice fast everybody in my in my office so i i, I changed my approach one of those life lessons never put oh, a that's so funny. farm around a juice fast so that was and i think you know that one of the great parts of to me of that message is look we all have to pay attention to what is happening with our own bodies and sometimes we need some outside help to identify that and i think we tend to go through the motions <clears throat> like you saying hey headaches are normal you know i'm supposed to it's normal to have right. a headache every day or right. it's Absolutely. normal to feel tired after you eat well no it's not normal let's figure out what what did i eat that now i don't right. feel good or whatever but so you're almost a dollar ten you've almost made a dollar and ten cents so far doctor about an hour in i want to set the stage because i think i I think part two is gonna we're gonna really get into the fun stuff on the facial diagnosis but before we kind of so you say two dollars and twenty two dollars and twenty cents in my future is what you're telling me yeah i mean you we're gonna go back to the old days where you made big money working (laughs) at the gas station so so but so to set the table on this thing um how we want to say 
what happens for a practitioner in this world that they say, okay, I think my patient needs medical care and they're probably right. This is your life lesson yeah. number six. But I also want to relate that to the member and the, and the, and the patient themselves saying, trust your instinct a little bit, right? And so you, to, to set the table on facial diagnosis and this traditional Chinese medicine a little bit, you make the point about, you know, back in before x-rays and imaging existed, reading faces was a really key for doctors to unlock their oh, patients' absolutely. healthcare issues. Absolutely. So yeah. tell, tell us about that for a second, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll get into to the fun stuff in part two here. Yeah. So what, what, how did the physicians of old uh, practice their trade? Well, they observed. They felt. They smelled. You know, if you smell a certain odor, you know it could chemically mean this. So it was really about observation and being able to take that and and apply it to the medical knowledge of the day. So it was it was a wonderful way of doctoring. We talk about the old doctor who just knew. I'll tell you who the best diagnostician on the face of the earth is. Mother of a sick child. You as a physician, mm. shut up and listen because they'll tell you what's wrong and how to fix it. Keep your mouth shut because <laughs> there's an intuitive spiritual connection that these mothers have to their kids and I, that's the best lesson I ever got from an old doctor told me. He said, shut up and listen to a mother of a sick child because they, they will know things just intuitively. And that's okay. Intu- intuition is is really a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm always amazed how much my wife knows about what's going on with the girls and through the years uh her ability to really care for them so that that your point is i've seen it in in that uh is very clear in my own life and in our lives and so uh last thing we'll talk about here before we break is the different can you just share a little bit about the difference between (coughs) traditional chinese medicine or eastern medicine and western medicine i think You've said it many times. Both are very relevant. You're not saying one or the other. Uh, they're both needed. But uh, why did traditional Chinese medicine become so important to you in, in your practice? Well, again, it gave me those issues of, um, of what's not right in a person. And again, neither is better. Um, you know, Western medicine is very concrete. It's testing. And they do everything in their power to not let people die. And really, the key difference is Eastern medicine wants you to live as healthy as you can till your time comes to leave this earthly plane. And there's no problem with leaving this earthly plane. But let's do it when uh, it's the proper time to do it. Don't die of a heart attack at age 42. That's not that's mm. not following the principles of... So, you know, it's Western's very uh, concrete. Uh, Eastern's very abstract. We use reasoning and rational thinking in Western medicine, but we're more intuitive and just aware of what's going on. And, uh, um, you know, if you want to use brain, one's left brain, one's right brain. You know, obviously left brain is logic, and that's Western medicine, and right brain is the opposite. You know, we're using intuitive. Well, when we There's keep going, I'm going to be in... Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be quite yeah. intrigued to hear how a bucket head can also be uh, intuitive <laughs> and, and, and logical. So such great yeah. stuff. Our conversation isn't over. Come back next week for part two.